The Ryan Tuberty Show on RTE Radio 1 with Elevon Merchant Services. Growing your business is easy peasy with us by your side. It's only 9.24. There's a great show. Uh, we're making great progress here this morning. I feel like <laughs> the plane has a wind uh, in, in its, its uh, sails, as it were, as we make our way uh, to our guest this morning, who has been working in medicine for over 15 years. Uh, intriguing story. Aileen Rogers, good morning and thanks for being with us Morning, today. Ryan. Thanks for the uh, invite. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm going to start with you as I started with another guest earlier on in the week. Um, I spoke to him about his mother, but I'm going to talk to you about your grandmother because I get the sense that your grandmother... Uh, Ross Common lady That's right. uh, was yeah. um, kind of instrumental in terms of the forks in the road and decisions being made. Tell me a little bit about her. Yeah, um, so I guess I come from a long line of strong women, but I was the youngest uh, of five and I only actually had one grandparent alive by the time I came around, which was Anne Gilhooley, my mother's mother, mm-hmm. uh, who I spent a lot of time with down in Roscommon. Um, but she um, was when she was in her late 80s, uh, kind of developed dementia. And so uh, the family made a decision when I was about 11 for her to move in with us at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents cared for her for seven years. So she she lived until she was 97. And she went kind of from being um, nearly minding me yeah. uh, to uh, very much me and my parents minding her at the end of her life. Um, so it was, I think it was actually a formative period for me because um, that was when I realised I wanted to become a doctor, I think. Um, it consolidated that idea in my that head. That sense of minding and nurturing yeah. and, and looking yeah. after. She sounds like a special lady. What did she bring to your life? Um, well, she was just, um, she was a really interesting person. She had a really interesting life. She, in the 1920s, upped and left Roscommon and went to Montauk to be a governess. Montauk? And said, yeah, and Holy send money smoke. home. And she, I think she had a fantastic time out in New York. Oh, and then wow. I'm sure she ha- lived the life during the 20s. And uh, she came home to marry my grandfather um, and had, you know, a wonderful family and just really um, instilled a love of entertaining and f- like t- close-knit family yeah. and, and that has really resonated for Joie me. Comes, yeah, exactly. And Ex- my parents really um, have, have followed on along that line. She was a wonderful cook and one of my brothers is involved in, in uh, restaurants and, and uses her restra- recipes in his uh, restaurants in London and stuff. So. I, th- I always think that if you, when you meet people of, of that vintage in their 80s and 90s in Ireland who have spent some of their formative time in the States, yeah. they, had, they, they brought something back with them. Absolutely. Do you, do you know what I mean? They packed it in a bag and, and put it in their soul. I think she was always known as being the most glamorous woman in yeah, Arigna yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from, from, from the 1920s onwards. So, you know, okay. she always had a hat and she always had stuff being sent over from America. So, yeah, it's really... I like that. And, yeah. and you said you come from a, a, a line of strong women. Would you, would you t- tell me about some of them? Or? Yeah, well, um, my, my father's mother as well was um, um, university educated and um, back in County Slide. Go Not and that common at the time. No, it yeah. wouldn't have been. And her her name was Constance actually, and my middle name is Constance. Is it? Um, Sligo. So, yeah. So you got kind of Yates vibe going on there. Very much. Yeah. Very much. And Markovitz. Uh, yeah, we're very yeah. And so yeah, so the the Rogers of Sligo um, are are a strong line down there. And yeah, um, yeah so my my grandmother. Um, would have my both grandparents would have really instilled education as being the most important thing, um, and so you know th- that kind of again led through to um, something that my parents uh, really 
put everything on the line to make sure that we kind of were educated and worked hard. And yeah. so I think, um, yeah, that, that I suppose that's, you know, part of where I am, where I am today it's is, the story. is to do with that. I spoke, I speak to, you know, on the late, late last Friday, I spoke to these, to the guys, the two Naris, and they came from very difficult background, ended up in prison, drugs, the whole lot. But it was education was the, the route out. Um, and, you know, talking to other people this week as well, it's always about the education, regardless of the, uh, the your background. If you can fight through what you're given and if, if, if you come from a difficult background, but equally, if you come from a uh, com- more comfortable background, if you can just grab that educational um, possibility and and roll with it. And work hard. And work hard. That's the thing. Why do you say that? (laughs) Well, I suppose, um, I suppose that's that it's more, it's more that aspect of things. I think that has probably um, helped me in my career, you know, um, being a surgeon and uh, a mother and a wife and, you know, being able to kind of maintain, you know, a family life and a f- and social life and being able to, you know, do what I do. You have to work hard and work long and, you know, constantly be thinking of your next move. Right. So well, that's, I, that, let's <clears throat> let's go. Let's go there now, because <laughs> you, you, you decided to enter the world of medicine. We talked yeah. about your grandmother and, and that formative nature of, of your experience together. Um, I'm always interested to know why. Uh, doctors or medical people chose the field that they chose. So tell me a little bit about that. Where where were you airing towards, or what was what was on the mind? It's kind of a f- <clears throat> it's a funny one, but um, I actually wanted to do neurology, and I have there's a um, I think I, I might know where you're going. Yeah, here. Go well, I, well, I won't mention names, but no, there's a okay. very prominent neurologist. My brother Neil, yes, yes, yeah, was very formative in my career, and in I a actually, good way, I hope. Oh, I'm I'm mad about him. Okay. Uh, he still teases me constantly about uh, the fact that I've ended up literally at the exact opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> as a colorectal surgeon. Um, okay. So Neil was. Um, I was always inspired by, you know, I I, I would all I'm a, le- a follower of people who are inspirational, and I you know wanted to be a neurologist all throughout university and felt that that was the direction I was going to go and worked and did research in it and chose to do that particular intern job. Mm. So when I graduated, you know, was was heading towards neurology and I actually chose to do surgery first in my intern year because I thought even though it was my best subject in college, I just didn't kind of even it it wasn't a conscious disregard for mm. it, but I just didn't consciously even consider it as a career choice. Mm. And within a couple of days, um, uh, of being a surgeon on one of the old um, firms in Vincent's, which was called the Highland Trainer Firm, and, and uh, Professor Highland and Professor Trainer were very formative in my um, subsequent decision to become a surgeon. But within a couple of days, I ended up doing an appendectomy. You know, w- you know, on the fourth day of my intern year, um, due to lack of staffing or something along those lines, and uh, and there was a, a female surgeon who happened to be one of the registrars, and I just kind of stepped back and thought, oh my god, what am I thinking? I like instant gratification. Yeah. I buy a new pair of shoes. I want to put them on straight away. I love surgery. This is me, it's, you know... That's fascinating that, that it's instant gratification. So rather than the, the kind of more laborious uh, analysis of what might or might not happen, yeah. you're like, get in, incise, yeah. stitch, get out. Exactly, yeah, it's decisive. You make your decision, 
and then you fix it and you yeah. look at what you have done. You can actually see it in front of you. It's the medical equivalent of doing live, radio, live radio, live absolutely. TV. You walk away from this, you can't you can do it again or re-record it or, yeah. or, or pick up an edit. You're just in and or you're out, yeah, you know. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, and it suits me down to the ground. Um, so I'm delighted. Let me go back a step, Aileen, in, in that uh, story you've just told where you saw a female surgeon and, and um, you know, I was talking to, and again, I'm, I seem to be quoting a lot of people I've had on the show in the last week, but that's because I'm, I'm learning and um, you know Annie Mack the DJ the BBC DJ was on with us and she talked about hearing female voices on the radio and that made her think oh I can do it now so if you hear it you can be it if you can yeah. see it you can be it yeah. um, and this this is a classic example of that then in your case it really is you know like that is a kind of an adage isn't it Maya Angelou or somebody said if you, can, you can't be what you can't see well that's well put yeah uh, and um, and I mean I think I, th- I was trying to think about this but I think up until certainly when I started medical school in 2001 I don't think there was a general surgeon in Ireland who was female right uh, and now you look around and there's more of us mm. uh, and you know it's not it's not about it's not necessarily about actually having to promote women or whatever it is it's actually just looking and seeing somebody that's like you doing something and it's just a visceral thing it's just about being human isn't it you, you know you relate to people that you look and sound like or who act like you or you know I'm that's the other thing I'm okay I'm a woman but I'm also four foot eleven mm-hmm. so I'm not particularly physical looking I'm also look younger than I am so I mean you know I think Are you conscious of that the physicality of the Um, I think I used to be when I was maybe a teenager and I think definitely you know I have a big personality and I've probably developed that from you know the fact that I was always small and you know um probably, you know, that that did contribute yeah. to, to who I am. Do you find, I, I'm going to share it with you here yeah. so we can, as we're talking, you know, people say, someone said to me the other day coming out of the shop, going, oh, here he comes, <clears throat> um, what do they call it, uh, Twiggy, here comes Twiggy, you know, skinny. <laughs> and, and I laughed and said, that's yeah. fair, enough. I don't take too, too. But uh, equally, you said you're small. Uh, do you find people will casually pass comment on your height and have oh, done yeah. since you were a younger age. Yeah, all and the how, time. And how are you with that? I, well, you know, I actually am quite past remarkable myself, so I don't really have a leg to stand on. So you give on. as good as you get. Yeah, that, and I've, I think I've developed that and I, I love a bit of banter and, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> totally okay with it and uh, um, so it's no holes barred when it comes to me and I think people feel comfortable to be able to do that. And if somebody commented on, on step, uh, go on. I stand on a step in the operating theatre. Do you? I, oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, there, I know there are some short surgeons who insist on bringing the bed down to their height and then the tall people have to come down. But I'm not like that. I'll stand on two steps if I need to. Uh, so we've got like a specially higher step for me in the matter because I need the extra size and I have my glove size is much smaller than everyone else as well and I have to have my own box of gloves um, because I just am a smaller person. But you're so good at what you do these things are utterly irrelevant. Totally. Um, you, what matters is what you do with those hands not the size of the gloves. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and sometimes actually it comes in handy having very small <laughs> hands. <laughs> Given the nature of the job. Yeah. So as a surgeon Aileen can I ask you where you uh, what what you do? I mean if that's not too silly a yeah, question yeah. you know would we get into more specifics then? Sure. Um, yeah, so I've trained as a colorectal, which is bowel cancer or bowel um, surgery. And, yeah. and I do specialise mostly in cancer. Um, so, you know, it's been a long road of training. And the way we do it is that you get to a point where you're, you know, able to kind of do anything that really comes through the door with respect to bowel surgery. Okay. And that that's when you kind of come to completion of your training and then you do one extra year which is a fellowship year so that's what I did where I went to London the year before last and I trained in robotic 
uh, surgery for bowel cancer and also in something called pelvic exenteration, which is basically really advanced colorectal cancers where they go beyond where cancer normally goes. So there's a certain small group of people that will have really advanced colon cancers and that's the kind of stuff that I do. Are you are you uh, mesmerised by technology? Are you scared by technology? Or are you encouraged by technology? Oh, no, I, I love it. Um, so, I mean, from the kind of technology side of things, I love all the guns and the robots and all that. Do you? The, yeah. Like your gadget kind of person. Yeah, yeah, but I'm also one of those people who will always be an early adopter, you know, so yes. there's different sort of people. And so, you know, when you show me something new, I'm always interested in it and working out how to use it and innovate. Whereas, and maybe that's a reflection of the fact that I'm early in my career. And maybe, you know, when I'm later in my career, I might yeah. become one of those people who's stuck in my, you know. Stuck, stuck in your robotic ways. Stuck in my robotic ways, <laughs> yeah, or who doesn't want to maybe change. But okay. I, I suspect that I will always be an early adopter. Um, let's talk about London for a minute. So you said last year, that you said we were deep in the heart of darkness in yeah. uh, <laughs> pandemic land. You were, what, commuting? Were you, that, that's Kind of. So, um, yeah, my wonderful husband and four-year-old and... 10 month old at the time mm. baby uh, I left them in August 2020 just after the first wave to go for 12 months to the Royal Marsden Hospital in London to train in robotic surgery so this was planned three years prior three or four years prior obviously when I planned it I didn't know that Covid was going to happen and I thought you know I'd be able to come back Fridays fly over Mondays that's easy well you know easy enough um, but with the pandemic obviously everything changed so I mean I left I left on a flight you know in August 2020 with a little bag on my back and I had no idea when I was going to get back you okay. know kissing the kids goodbye I just didn't know yeah um, that was because, a tough call yeah yeah mm. yeah it was difficult um, but I, I did get back and I, mm. there were certain times where there was dispensations for cross-border health care workers so it was easier when the UK variant came in it was awful you know there was several long weeks um, where I didn't see the baby once and you know that was tough and my husband really held the fort up and is, yeah. is fantastic and a great dad and and obviously was able to kind of we we were it, it's a testament to him that I was able to stay there for 12 whole months um, and complete my fellowship Well so. congratulations on that yeah. uh, on all those levels to, to talk about I love the way that you blend in your, your personal ambition with your, with your professional ambition you know you want both to be you know, right up there. I get yeah. the sense from from in our brief uh, conversation so far. Yeah. Um, and when you were over in London, you were doing robotic surgery. You were practicing with the machinery. And did you find that strangely with COVID, and with that in mind, the kind of falling off of staff around the place, you you might have been more immersed in it than you might have been in a non-pandemic era. Yeah, well, that and as well as the fact that like, I had a split life. So when I was in London, it was work, work, work. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I was, I had no distractions. But yeah, I worked in a cancer hospital in London called the Marsden. And what ended up happening was that um, it was shielded actually uh, from COVID. So really, COVID didn't actually affect oh, me. Oh, you were in a bubble of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, th I think we had maybe four case cancellations in the 12 months out right. of over 400, you know, that I was involved in. So, um, you know, because the patients were so rigorously tested and it was all planned and there's no emergency department in yes. this hospital, etc. But yeah, so I mean, um, COVID affected me probably positively in terms of yeah. professionally because... There were other fellows who would usually come from international countries didn't come because their visas didn't come through or they felt it wasn't safe to travel. Whereas for me coming from Ireland, it was that little bit easier with the common travel agreement. 
Um, plus, um, a lot of the cancers were centralised into my hospital, so the volume was bigger than than um, I actually expected. So it actually ended up being the best professional year of my career, I think. Um, right. So it was fantastic. The, the, the three surgeries that, that, that uh, I, I believe, open surgery, keyhole surgery, robotic surgery, that's yeah. right, they're the three. Um, I'm not going to ask your favourite because it's a bizarre and kind of macabre question. I couldn't answer that. Uh, no, I'm sure. I love them all. Do you, do you, well, <laughs> yeah. right, but that wasn't, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but you do. I mean, you, 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 what, you relish the challenge? Is it like, because um, I know you mentioned my brother that I always feel he, he reminds me a little of, of Sherlock, you know, that <laughs> yeah. it, it's the he's mystery searching. he wants. Yeah, yeah, he's searching constantly yeah. trying to find answers to these questions. And is that what you find? That it's the constant... Um, mystery of it uh, as much as the... Yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah. So when you go into... So scans are brilliant and we kind of have a very good idea of what we're going into. But the surgery that I tend to do is outside of the normal planes of things. So, you oh. know, it's, it's kind of not a straightforward operation. So you go in and you think you know what you're going to find. But it's like, you know doing a jigsaw or, you know, it's a puzzle. Right. Uh, so I love the challenge of that. And so that that satiates my desire for a challenge. Um, and then at the end of it is so nice, you know, you have the gratification of having, you know, looking at your work. But yeah, the, so there's a role, I suppose you have to tailor surgery to the patient and to the tumour that you're dealing with. So if it's a big, massive, bulky tumour, mm. you know, there's no point in doing a robotic operation because the the whole point of doing a robotic operation is have nice, nice neat little scars. And okay. if, you, if you have to take out a tumour that's the size of a football, mm. you know, you may as well do an open surgery because it is it is open surgery is probably the best in, in a lot of so ways. You, you, as you say, you tailor it to the job exactly. at hand. Yeah, exactly. And so the challenge is knowing how to tailor it. And I think one of the problems with robotic surgery from the understanding of the lay public is I think people think it's like your Roomba that goes around and, you know, hoovers your house for you and, and you know, you just press yeah. play and off it goes. Yeah. And that's not how robotic surgery works at all so um, it's very much the surgeon making the decisions and making the cuts it's just that the robotic aspect of it miniaturises it Do you have um, to, do you find yourselves yourself and, and indeed your colleagues uh, standing at, at the table at the, in the surgery for mm. many many hours I mean yeah. we, we're talking about double figures Yeah at, in, yeah. one, in one sitting, if my, you'll excuse it, in one I think standing. My, I think my record of not taking a break is uh, I did a 17-hour one. Uh, in one go? Yeah, yeah. Somebody passed me a square of chocolate under my mask at You're one point. <laughs> did you slip out to the for a coffee no, break or a toilet no, break? No, no. 17 hours? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's my record, but uh, yeah. What were you doing without giving anything away? Uh, that was actually, I think, a long vascular operation. Uh, so actually that was during training um, so a good few years ago but it's just one I remember But you know like you wouldn't you wouldn't let somebody drive a truck for <laughs> 17 hours but let alone operate on somebody Well you, but you say that but you know uh, I, yeah and Well you is, tell me because It's I mean, unique I, it's, 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 so it is a, it's a totally unique I mean I don't know if you can legislate for uh, for this sort of thing when you're you have ownership over it and you're the consultant I mean we you know people going down in submarines and you know there's lots of different unusual physical lifestyles that change how you can become and that you don't need a coffee break every two, so you're, it's two like hours. A, it's almost a Darwinian evolution yeah. of certain people have to like, it's like duck bills that are different well, than some I think, ducks. And well, I, I just know you that. You have different stamina. Yeah, it, you train because I mean, you start yeah. as an intern and then your operations that you're involved in kind of get longer and longer and longer. And sure enough, suddenly you realise that you can actually go 12, 15 hours without, you know, thinking of anything other than what you're doing in front of you. 
And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But, I, you know, when you're kind of obsessed with it, yes. which I am, um, you know, I think a lot of your listeners, anyone who's got, you know, a passion or something else, you know, if you whether it's a jigsaw or gardening, you can suddenly look at the watch and go, oh, my God, where do those six yeah. hours go? I, I haven't even when eaten. You're, when, yeah. you're, when you're having a surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In your case, at least. Exactly. It's, it's colorectal awareness month this That's month, right. I understand. That's um, right. Would you like to share a little um, information? Yeah, it's about Bowel it? Cancer Awareness Month in April. So, you know, obviously that's the, the um, specialty I work in. And I think hopefully a lot of your listeners would know that if there was any um, change in symptoms, a change in bowel habit, weight loss, um, or if they were feeling, you know, unwell, yes. um, to, to seek help. But... The other message that I think we really want to get out there is that with colon cancer, the treatment is so good uh, that nowadays, even if you've got advanced or stage four colon cancer, that we can treat it now with a curative intent. So, you know, people would usually think, oh, if you've stage four cancer, you know, that's kind of, you know, the coffin, you know, nail in the gun. But with colon cancer, the treatments have come on so much and the surgeries have come on so much. So in the matter, we're doing a lot of um, removing of um, advanced tumours and tumours that you know, have spread elsewhere uh, uh, with an intention of cure. So what I want, I suppose, is we've had a lot of people uh, more recently and after the pandemic diagnosed with more advanced tumours. But to get the message out there that if that's you or if, you know, you're facing a diagnosis of colon cancer or colorectal cancer, that, um, you know, we're moving towards a world where we can treat more and more advanced tumours. What a positive um, yeah. piece of news to, yeah. to hear that from coming from you. Um, great discussion uh, says a text I recall being in college in nursing school as a man in the profession way too few men in nursing mm-hmm. and if more men were nursing more would enter so that's, that's the flip of what we were talking definitely. about earlier would you agree with that? Definitely yeah uh, Francis I've just had major surgery where I had my femur rebuilt the doctor performed a work of art they are you, you are unique people um, <laughs> we all are unique people for, that's for sure uh, Fran in Dublin says uh, loving the interview this morning regarding personal comments being passed regarding weight etc great reply if someone refers to you being light or thin is you can't fatten a thoroughbred. If someone yeah. refers to a person being small in stature, my late mother had a great expression, there are good goods in small parcels. I've I'm sure you've that heard that all my yeah, life. I, I've heard them all. <laughs> the, the one yeah. I get as well is there's more meat on a butcher's apron. Oh, yeah. Um, I, what else? Uh, I know we could keep, it's like the film oh, yeah. Roxanne. <clears throat> excuse me, Roxanne about the nose. You could, it's, that's the same, right. it's the same thing. You could, but look, that's not where we're going to end today. <laughs> I think that what's great about our conversation today, Aileen, Aileen is that You've achieved so much uh, so early in your career um, that uh, younger people, and I think particularly younger women and, and uh, girls listening today, I hope would listen and go, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You're out there, we can do it, and uh, you're, you're paving the way for, for the next generation in many regards. But it's been great to see you and I really enjoyed our chat this morning. Thanks, Mel. And good luck on your travels. Thanks very much. Wherever they take you. That's right. <laughs> and I hope that you get to see a few shows along the way. That's right. Uh, Aileen Rogers joining us live in studio this morning. The text number is 51551. It's 14 minutes to 10.